Hello, welcome to the July episode of Haven for Your Ears. I'm Amy Sexton. And I'm Tara Crutchfield. On this episode, we're going to be talking a lot about the Dairy Down and the Dairy Down Project. The Dairy Down it was started in 1964 by Graham Parsons, and it was a teen club that hosted a lot of the, it not only did it host Graham and his band, The Shilohs, but also a lot of the other musical acts around Traveling here. Traveling teen right. groups. Yeah, there was like a whole circuit for it. And that that eventually closed down. It was on Fifth Street, and that building was kind of lost to time. And through a series of kind of really crazy events, it it was discovered, and the community rallied together along with Main Street, Winter Haven, and Six Ten, and Gene Owen, and a lot of Graham's contemporaries and and friends and former bandmates, and got together and saved the dairy down. So Tara. I think this is one of the most amazing issues we've ever done together, and it's the longest story you've ever written, correct? Yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's pretty much like reading a novel when you pick it up. It's one story throughout the entire magazine. Today we're going to touch on a few of the topics, but definitely not everything that you wrote about. It was just a lot of fun to do. And I will say that if you want to read more about it, you can pick up the July issue of Haven. And also, if you want to read even more than that, you should pick up Bob Keeling's book, Calling Me Home, Graham Parsons and the Roots of Country Rock, because he just told the story beautifully. And there's a lot of really like great stories in there about Graham growing up here in Winter Haven. I read it and I learned so much. I had no idea about the amazing history Polk County has in regards to music. Graham. Yep, so pick up the July issue. Sit back and enjoy Paving for Your Ears. Well, welcome to the studio. Thank you. We've got the legendary John oh. Corneal and Gene <laughs> Owen, who is a, a founding father of the Dairy Down Project. Yes. So we're excited to have you guys. And um, so this month, um, I wrote a story about what author Bob Keeling calls um, an uncommonly musical time and place, which was uh, Polk County in the 1960s. You know, uh, John knows because he, he's a part of it. He, you know, so many talented people came out of Polk County during that time. And um, so I, I got to talk to a lot of them. Uh, John, Les Dudek, Jim Stafford, Jim Carlton. And then, of course, I got to talk to people like Gene Owen and Anita Strang about the Dairy Down Project, which has to do with Graham Parsons, who was another legend to come out of Polk County from that time. So that's kind of what it revolves around. Okay, so, John, tell us about yourself. When was the first time you picked up the drums? Well, I had a toy drum set early. <laughs> I did it only last a couple of weeks because they, they, were, they were made out of metal shells, and, you know, like pressed out metal, it, it, they weren't very good. And they weren't really made to last. Uh, and the drum heads uh, were pretty much paper with a little reinforcement of, of cloth of some kind. But I, you know, I, I tore that apart in about two weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still kept the drumsticks and I beat on stuff for until uh, I lost a drumstick and one drumstick. It's just not real handy. How old were you? Oh, five or six. Wow. But, you know, oh, you know, I had secret desires the rest of my life, pretty much. I mean, until uh, it came band time to join the, the school band, yeah. you know, and they start you with song flutes, and but they, 
there comes a time you have to order a musical instrument, what you're going to go to from your song flute. There's a time my parents didn't want to spend the money. Uh, the band director said that they could rent a baritone horn for me for the year for $10. Yeah. It's a big old ugly stinky horn. Smells like valve oil if you're lucky. And <laughs> I hated it. I, yeah. I, I tied my belt to it when I got off the bus and I dragged it till almost the bottom oh. was. Oh, yeah, yeah. The case wasn't in good shape when we returned it, but I did that for a year or two. And, but I kept begging my parents, please, please, please. And I told them, I said, if you just let me, if just say yes, if you'll give me permission, I'll work and save money and buy the drums myself. You don't even have to buy them. Just say yes. And when they did say yes, Mr. Miller, the band director, told me he could just pick me up at the junior high and take me to the primary school to start up, which was what I did, and I caught up with it in a month or two. Yeah. You know, it didn't take long. Yeah. So. So you went from the school band to joining garage bands around Polk County. Like the Dynamics and the Legend. Yeah. Did you play yeah. the, the teen clubs around? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then we were lucky enough to get booked on a nice party. Yeah. That was good. By 62, uh, that's when I ran into Graham, and he came to check out the Arbondale Teen Center. He, he was a real outgoing, friendly guy and made himself friends with us and we invited him to come and play our city with us on our next gig, and that's mm -hmm. when he found out Gerald Chambers and I could play, mm -hmm. you know. And so he called me within the next few days, and before we knew it, we, we were rehearsing with him over at Graham's household, Piedmont Avenue, mm -hmm. and we were eight. So, and what was the name of that band? Did you form a band? Yeah, the, the Legends. The Legends. We went, um, the band we'd had together with the Arbondalians uh, was Gerald Chambers, Carl Chambers, his cousin. Uh, his big brother, Billy Joe Chambers, was in the group. And Aaron Hancock. Uh, Bobby Braddock was in it? Yeah, and, yes, he was. Uh, he played piano. He was real good. He'd already been out on his own gone to Miami, became a very fine piano player. And uh, actually, when we started playing together, with, when Bobby joined us, we all improved within the next six months just am amazingly, just because better rubs off on you, you know? And he had a, an excellence about his playing and singing, you know? And, but anyhow, when we, we left the dynamics with the grand surging and, mm -hmm. and then, you know, we. We were continuing to work at teen centers, and plus Graham had a gift uh, of booking. He was connected. I mean, he really was connected to some pretty good stuff. We, the uh, Christmas holidays of 62, uh, we, we made some money. As a band, you know, every one of us got bring home some pay. And, Do you uh, remember how much you made? Yeah, in fact, how much? My, my my high school. If you if you weren't a, a jock in Arbondale when I went to school, you were nothing. In fact, you were, and if you're a musician, you were even less than mm -hmm. nothing. And Coach Terry was our supposedly winning coach, and he called <laughs> he called me a sissy, you know, because I was a musician. Mm -hmm. Well, I'd had enough with that, and finally, when we came back, we made some money that that we could through the holidays, and, and we, we did a nice, fat New Year's Eve job, and we did the horse show banquet up, up and they had it at the Haven Hotel. His mm -hmm. Coach Terry called me, since he one dude many times, and and I said, hey, Coach, how much money did you make last week? 
He, did, he wouldn't tell me, and I said, well, if you didn't make 300 bucks last week, I made more money than you did. <laughs> and he never called me a sissy again. <laughs> well, after you played with the, you know, the garage bands around here, the Dynamics and the Legends, uh, you graduated high school and you eventually went up to Nashville, is that right? Yeah, when I was 17, right after high school. So, By what? the way, let me just... Yeah, yeah. Back when we were playing that rock and roll back then, mm -hmm. nobody ever called us a garage band. Oh. I mean, we never rehearsed in the garage. <laughs> <laughs> it was always a, either the living room, but we, I remember rehearsing in Bobby Braddock's living room, uh -huh. where his mom always had a nice piece of the best darn pie you ever had. So why did you choose Nashville versus going out to L.A. or something? What was in Nashville? Well, I knew that the Everly Brothers had mm -hmm. made their hits in Nashville, and I knew that Roy Orbison did too, and uh, they that's where they came from. And I was thinking about both of them. They were two of my favorite acts. I just loved Roy Orbison. And, and later, in 73, I was offered jobs to play with them. Mm -hmm. and, but I got stuck in a blizzard in Nashville, and I couldn't make it there in time, and they went to Europe without me. <gasps> Yeah, but that's all right. A I blizzard mean, in Nashville? Yeah, I was, you know, when they have ice storms in Nashville, oh. but as it turned out when I got out there in, in 73, um, Warren Zevon, who had called me with the jobs both mm -hmm. both times, he called me in, he called me in July of 73, and I wasn't quite ready to leave Nashville for a couple of reasons. So you chose Nashville, and you stayed there. What What did you do when you were there? I'd go out on the road when anybody needed a good drummer. Ah, who and, paid your union dues, John? Well, <laughs> Jake Tullock from uh, Flat Scrubs, biggest, <laughs> the biggest bluegrass group in the world at that time. Jake Tullock was my next door neighbor. And, he, and when he pulled up in that brand new Chevrolet four-door Impala, it had a bass fiddle up on the, on the seat. And I thought, oh, buddy. This guy's one of these guys that I came up here to get around, you know? And he was. Mm -hmm. And as it turned out, they, he and his wife, they had me over supper a lot. Well, then how Jake uh, did lend me the money to join the union. Mm -hmm. But then I started working. And, of course, Jake put the word out, and everybody in the, uh, the place started putting the word out. And right across the street, catty corner from me, was Don Warden, who played steel guitar for Porter Wagner. And... He'd been with him since the beginning, and he sang in the trio with him, and Porter had a bunch of hits. And he helped put the word out. In fact, he even plugged me into doing a Porter show to play drums behind Stonewall Jackson because he'd had that big song, Waterloo, and it was, there was boom, 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 bass drum in there the whole day, too. If I had to play so loud, I'd probably get an offer, offered a job with him, but I, I you, know, you know, when you're young, you're just foolish. And, well, you, you were a rock and roll drummer, right? And then they would tell you, stick in a brush. Yeah. Keep it country, you said. I, yeah, constantly, constantly. Hey, boy, keep it country. Keep it country now. No, stick in a brush, stick in a brush. Two brushes, you know, they they holler across the stage and tell you, you know, let me how to do my job. And, you know, I, I mean, I just had to put up with it. Cause that's the way it was. If I was going to work, I, I needed to do it their way. Well, you were touring with Loretta, Loretta Lynn at that time, too, with the Wilburn Brothers. Yeah, the Wilburn Brothers booked her. They also published all her hits um, back, you know, up until a certain point when she left them. So what was it like being with Loretta Lynn? The sweetest thing. Yeah. She's so nice. 
and country. <laughs> oh, buddy. Uh, we were in, in North Carolina we on our way to the show. And she she stood up and told the bus driver, Lash, pull this bus over to the first store. I got to go in and get me some socks. <laughs> so she goes in there and we're waiting on her. She comes out. She has nylons. Mm -hmm. Socks. <laughs> oh. That's what she called yeah. nylons were socks. Mm -hmm. I thought, she's just real people. And when I, I played a job in, in Cincinnati with her. And before that, we had a rehearsal at her house early in the morning. And right before we started, she said, boys, have you eaten breakfast? Have you eaten anything? And of course, you know, it was early and we, we really hadn't. And we just came out here to do our job. and. We figured we'd eat later. She said, well, I just can't let you rehearse without getting fed. Let me fix you all some breakfast. Well, she fixed it. You know, and she'd been a professional cook at a longing camp. So she cooked for us and made fresh homemade biscuits and sausage and eggs and gravy and, you know, southern cooking. Pretty good stuff. Tell me about what it was like for you to take your nudie suit to the um, Country Music Hall of Fame. And how did that happen? I mean, the, the only way I can explain it is it's just the Lord is looking after me. Yeah. You know, after all these years, finally started to get some recognition. Mm -hmm. One of the times that Jim Lauderdale has been to the Dairy Down, I forget which one, it was maybe the second or third time, he, and he said, I don't think you folks know who John Cornell is. And I was sitting in the back, and he says, you know that John Cornell's the guy who put country and rock together, just like that. And he said it so simply, and buddy, he got it nailed. He nailed it down right there. And I, and in 67, the spring of 67, when I ran into Graham mm -hmm. down here, I came down to smell the orange blossoms as mm -hmm. usual, and he wanted me to come to California. And Graham could paint a great picture. You know, you wanted things to turn out the way he was talking. So I, I just really wanted that to happen. Well, in the meantime, I ended up putting my project on the back burner. Mm -hmm. um, at the time, I, you know, I played that on a, on a Robert Shreel to Real table quarter for him, but he didn't act impressed at all. But it, when he got in the country, he, he didn't he couldn't even imagine putting rock and roll and country together. It was a couple of years before he did any of that, you know, and that was one until the Fly Breeder brother first out. Yeah. They kind of rocked some things up, but uh, of course I was playing drums on those too. Over the years, he's gotten a lion's share of the critic. Yeah. Just recently, people have sort of paid attention. It's amazing, really. Mm -hmm. Think about it. Gene and I had just had our powwow with the, the people in the board and the room, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, At the Country Music Hall of Fame? You mean? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mick Buck, who, who's the curator, head curator there, he was taking uh, the Graham jacket, the, the one that Graham gave me from Nudie's, and with the submarines and torpedoes, and my suit that I designed uh, from the Fly Burrito Brothers down the hallway, and uh, the CEO, well, I, I forget what his name was, she's not nice Kyle, Kyle Young. That's good. Uh, he saw him coming down the hallway, and he said, where'd you get those, you know? And, and Mick tells him, well, John Cornell, he's just, and, and yeah, well, he came running down and shook my hand. Shook, oh, yeah. 
I mean, just like, wow, man, you know, it's so excited. And so you said you um, you were the first to put country and rock together up mm -hmm. in Nashville. Do you remember what you were playing or how that idea came to you? It was your original yeah. music, wasn't it? Well, we cut five, recorded five of my songs, and I did it at Bradley's Barn, which is where all of the DECA artists and all the DECA hits were cut. Mm -hmm. uh, I actually played drums and sang and produced it at the same time. Mm -hmm. I was 19. Wow. Then. So, well, and that, that was your first country rock session. And then whenever you just recorded your uh, more recent album, High Country, uh, one of the tracks, is it the first one or the second one, used to do? That's one of those original songs, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I wrote that in 65. Wow. So, yeah, I, we have a, a, a bunch of Swedish fans who uh, watch us every Friday and yes. get us on live stream from your Crest Coffees. Mm -hmm. uh, and they request it almost every every time. Well, that music's almost timeless. It is timeless. I mean, you say you created that in 65, but if you would have said, I made it last week, I would have believed that too. Well, good. There you go. But that's the point. I'm trying today to find um, somebody with a reel-to-reel to transfer to CD, because I've got five. I, I want to make an extended play, you know, an mm -hmm. EP. Yeah. Yeah. So, or the beginning part of another album. Yeah. That would be really neat to have that come yeah, out that, as an album. It's proof, you know. Mm -hmm. What do you think the highlight of your whole career has been? Oh, I have so many, yeah. really. I, Give us some. Uh, just the, one. Just <laughs> one. Just one. Well, just one. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I... I I wasn't prepared for that one. Uh, <laughs> this this Country Music Hall of Fame thing, I think probably it's going to be in the fall when we do that. Jim Lauderdale and his band's going to do a, a concert uh, with me, backing me up during those four big days of celebration yeah. uh, at the Country Music Hall of Fame, uh, introducing this new uh, California country rock extravaganza. Mm -hmm. which is a whole totally new redesigned Country Music Hall of Fame display. Yes. At which my suits would be in. Yeah. And and so I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> I'm hoping can, within the next the three years after it starts uh, to be able to bring my whole group, to, my compadres, who play with me every Friday. Tell us about when, when you guys play, who's playing with you. We play every Friday at Hillcrest Coffees, 119 Hillcrest. Beautiful downtown Lakeland, Florida. Mm -hmm. And uh, Brian Godding has been so helpful. He's the owner. And uh, we've been live streaming, I don't know. Oh, we, we've probably done a couple hundred shows now. Uh, live who, streaming. Who are the compadres now, John? Who's, who's okay. been playing? Well, our newest uh, member uh, is Christine Collister. She actually runs the office for the symphony, the Florida Southern Symphony. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful fiddle player, violin. Fantastic, Beautiful. yeah. Buster Cousins, his, his stage name, his real name is uh, Tim Keller Hurt. <laughs> uh, he's probably one of the best slide guitar players I ever heard. I mean, he is incredible. 
Donald Farr on bass. He's Mr. Mustang. He's the editor of Mustang Magazine as well as a wonderful bass player. Uh, we call him Mr. Mustang. <laughs> uh, every once in a while, we'll, we'll do a Mustang Sally. Frank Swartz. I call him Colorado Frank. He does a great job. Oh, John Boyce. I forgot. How can I leave him? In? Was he the Australian guy? Mm. Yeah, okay. Australian. I remember him. Yeah. Well, he, um, the Dingoes were are in the Australian Hall of Fame. They had a number one song called Way Out West. In fact, this past Friday, John sang it. I've been trying to get him to do it for years, too. He finally, you know, he got it in his key, you know, and did good. Well, we'd like to welcome uh, Anita Strang now to the studio. Hey, Anita. Hey, Anita. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Well, thanks for being here. Um, Anita is the... Um, president and CEO of Main Street Winter Haven. And she, along with uh, Jean Owen here, were very instrumental in the Dairy Down project. Wouldn't have happened without them. So uh, we'd like to talk to them a little bit about the Dairy Down. So Amy, do you have any questions? Well, yeah, so so you're gonna read about the most of the story in the uh, magazine. So I don't wanna give it all away. But I do have a couple of other questions. So has the Dairy Down become what you imagined it to be? I'm so interested in what Gene has to say on okay, Gene, because I'm going to speak like my vision and his vision. You know, uh, initially we, we had to raise the money to make the building usable, first off. Mm -hmm. Once it was usable, you yeah, know, of course, and before it was usable, we began shows in the street and even in the building when it didn't have air conditioning. So we started off with shows and we were successful. So it was going to be a show place, and we knew that mm -hmm. from the get-go. It sort of morphed into uh, uh, a venue for other things also in order to pay the bills and keep us rolling. Mm -hmm. So we can't do a show every night or even once a week, and we try to do a show, oh, about monthly or so through the years. We survived the pandemic. I think we're I think we're really ahead of the curve. We're almost ten years in. We've made the map of venues around the country. Mm -hmm. uh, those folks that book musical entertainment uh, know that we exist. Uh, Anita attends the Americana Music uh, Association annual meeting every year in September. She's helped to put us further on the map by showing up there and uh, putting a face on our project. Uh, in in Winter Haven, uh, I, I think we're uh, we're way ahead. As a music fan, I'd like to have shows twice a week, but we don't have the money or the personnel to do that. Mm -hmm. That may happen one day, and I think that we've done a magnificent job with what we've had. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I just am so thankful that it didn't uh, initially when I first thought of the Dairy Down after reading Bob Keeling's book, mm -hmm. I thought I would own it and be a supper club. You know, like oh, I'll yeah. run this thing I, nightly. I'll bring in all the acts. It'll be like the troubadour of the of Winter Haven. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds cool. Thank, thank. <laughs> this did not occur. <laughs> I would have blown my head off with that financially and uh, in all ways probably. It needed to be a nonprofit for the masses. Yes. We were able to deliver it that way because Anita was already uh, managing Main Street and by plugging 
the Dairy Down project into Main Street with Anita. Mm -hmm. We were off to the races from the get-go. So has it become what you originally thought? I think yes. Um, my hope was that the building would um, create cultural tourism for downtown. Mm -hmm. um, when the project, you know, started to form and, you know, started to look like, okay, here's our path. You know, we are a preservation-based nonprofit. All Main Street programs' first order of business is to preserve um, buildings, keeping them in their natural state, but of course, trying your best to give them a new life. Um, and so um, by restoring the building, we were meeting that. Then moving past that to my hope was, was understanding um, more about Graham and how many people just, you know, were very, very um, inspired by his work and the sounds of his music. I thought, okay, so people will come to this. And I thought this is great because this will help our other downtown businesses. This is at that time pretty early on. And I'm thinking people will come into town, they'll spend the night, they'll eat dinner, they'll shop, they'll come see a show. This is kind of a good way to support all around. Um, as the project grew, and transition from a project to an entity. Um, and we started having regular events and regular shows there. And through my visits to Nashville for the Americana Fest mm -hmm. and going and meeting some of the agents that I was working with on the phone, meeting them in person and kind of saying, you know, what are you, you know, what are your thoughts on this? Like, mm -hmm. you know, it's, and they all told me this is very unique. You only seat 125 people. That's mm -hmm. not a lot. So, you know, they gave me some very good advice early on. And that's a, a lot of that advice I still take today. And I actually believe that the future of the Dairy Down is really going to surprise everyone. I really think it has a longevity mm -hmm. that will long outlast Jean, John, myself, and probably a lot of other folks. Mm -hmm. I think it will continue because it seems to, when people come in, that sense of this is a special place, mm -hmm. it just seems to res resonate with everyone, whether they're the performer, whether they're visiting, it is the energy in that space, I think it is, uh, that just feels like it's it's really special. Let me say that uh, it's Graham's idea, not, not, not his stepfather's. Graham's idea. He went to New York, saw the clubs in New York, mm -hmm. summer of 64, wanted one. It was modeled after the bitter end in bitter Greenwich Village. Bitter end in New York City, yeah. and it was Graham's idea. Now. Bob Parsons, he was interested in pleasing Graham. The children, he had adopted Graham and his sister in the in the years before that, and he was interested in pleasing them, but uh, he was using uh, Graham's family money to get that done. Mm -hmm. right? no, no ifs, ands, or buts mm -hmm. about that. And uh, and so, so uh, Graham, they, by, they acquired the building. They acquired the building in, in uh, late uh, summer. 
and then they fooled around and get it all ready, and they opened. We op they opened December the twentieth of '64. Graham already had a, a espresso machine in '63. Mm. Uh, if, they, if, if it was up in Blowing Rock, they had a home up there for the summer, and mm -hmm. I got to get up there and get my espresso machine, and I'm, and I'm thinking, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't use over espresso machine was, you know. But that's, you know, it's for the coffee house. You know, he, uh, actually, the Greenwich Village that he met when he was 16 years old and went up there in, like, 64 or whatever it was that summer, uh, that was the scene. Yeah, a lot of them were coffee. Coffee, yeah. yeah. yeah they didn't sell any booze, but they sold things to eat and, and coffee yeah. and teas and whatever, you know. Yeah, so... Got the club opened. Uh, Graham's friend Jim Carlton has recordings of the opening mm -hmm. night that he played for us at the uh, at the Bob Keeling uh, book signing there in front of the building. He just uh, so they opened it out, and uh, you know we have uh, we have I think only one outside picture of sixty four sixty five with a dairy down, and one inside picture of sixty four sixty five, and they're both associated with Graham's mother's invitation. To a horse uh, event, a luncheon. Uh, yeah, there, and it's a photo of the outside of the Dairy Down with the Dairy Down sign that that, that was there, and uh, then the inside shot is a shot of uh, some kids dancing to the band the Montels, that are the band listed in Big Avis's invitation. Yeah, they're the entertainment. So uh, is it the same night or a different night? Don't know, but at the Fifth Street location, the Dairy Down continued to op operate spring and into the early summer of 65. It, uh, it effectively ceased operation from Graham's family when Graham's mother died in the first week of June of 65. So Graham played there for about six months. Where do you see it in 10 years? I think Better Habit will end up going back to its roots of being a music city. I think we're ready for uh, a lot of growth in that, in that area. But I think the Dairy Down has the heart for, you know, being that central focused place that um, carries that, that memory and connection to our musical past. It, yeah. it is a home to a lot of people's memories. It is the home to, um, of course, you know, that connection to Graham, mm -hmm. but it is, it is something that I think belongs on a deeper level to everyone, mm -hmm. um, who has, um, experienced it. And I'm excited that we're able to introduce it to a whole new generation. Oh yeah. Yeah. And Jean, as a very super Graham fan, what does it mean to you to be able to walk in the dairy down now and see a show? And why was it so important to save? Well, it's something that you helped to facilitate. Yeah. Too. Why was it so important to you? Well, let me. Uh, I'll say that uh, you know I heard Graham first sing a George Jones song on the Bird Sweetheart of the Rodeo, in August of '68. Uh, I've listened to Graham since, mm -hmm. and I listen to him pretty regularly. And I've had the opportunity to uh, meet people that were in his life or close to his life like my good friend John Cornell here. Mm -hmm. And I'll say that the Dairy Down Project is uh, 
certainly uh, brought some recognition to uh, Graham and everybody that influenced him, uh, in, including John Cornell. You know, you got John Cornell in this last decade has come to the forefront. We've been able to bring John out to to folks that uh, that maybe would have not ever thought about John other than just a name on an album cover. Mm -hmm. You know, well, he's just another guy. Well, yeah, he played with him. Okay, so what? Well, now we've got a lot more with John. John's uh, career's blossomed, and he's uh, got a new pride and all that. It's a wonderful thing. You know, there's a lot of books on Graham, a lot of articles. Goodness gracious, he was photographed ad infinitum. I mean, he's quite the cultural icon, uh, really, in this last 50 years. It is so many people. And we've had a lot of those people that claim this influence of Graham played at the Dairy Down or want to play at the Dairy Down, will play at the Dairy Down. I think if I'd say one thing about the Dairy Down, moving forward into the future, yeah, we're bringing in young people into it regularly with NatWest. We've got new generations taking a look at it. Um, those of us that were Graham fans in the 60s and 70s, we're, we're dying off. But the Dairy Downs, a, a, a brick and mortar building that's sitting there with a historic marker in front of it, it's going to be there because Anita's management has set up the way it's going to be there. You just heard the words out of her mouth. Well, we want to thank all of you guys for coming in and for all of your help with this project. This has been such a labor of love for us to work on the magazine and just sitting and talking with you, going to see you play. If you have not been to see John, the legendary John Cornell and his compadres at Hillcrest Coffee at high noon every Friday, you've got to go. And then also the Dairy Down. That's right. And then the Dairy Down as well. If you haven't caught a show there, you just really have to go. It is just so cool. Thank you. Did well, you thank get you. The thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get that? Thank you. You got my better years. Montana, you got five years of my life. So thank you for listening to the July episode of Haven for Your Ears. Um, I'd also like to thank uh, the people that we talked to throughout the process of writing the story. So I'd like to thank Jim Carlton, Bob Keeling, Gene Owen, of course, John Corneal, Anita Strang, Les Dudek, Jim Lauderdale, and Jim Stafford. Thanks again for uh, all of your contributions to the story. Interviewing you guys was, um, it really was like a highlight of my, my year to, to be able to hear all the stories that you had and, and then convey that to our readers. If you're looking for a Haven magazine, I'll tell you where to find them. Go to havenmagazines.com, go to the About Us section in the top left corner, scroll down, and you'll see a link to a Google map. Click on that, and then zoom in to wherever you live, either Lakeland or Haven, wherever, or Winter Haven, or, you know, Auburndale, Davenport, wherever. Zoom in, and it will show you all of the drop-off locations for our physical magazine. And then, you need to walk there, get in your car, and go get one. Or find us online. And now I'd like to give a shout out to a tremendous up-and-coming business consulting firm that does some great work for us here at Destroyer Media, Z-Axis Solutions. They can take care of all your business needs, such as marketing, sales, business strategy, and accounting services, and are the place to go if you're looking for creative solutions to complex problems.
of my life Just sub-zero and will never touch me again Gonna move where the weather's warm until I die On highway heading south somewhere in Dixie With the cotton blooms of the spring and the snow I'm gonna risk these chilly bones in the southern sunshine Live with the weather's warm until I die Blooms in the spring snow fly. 